is going on, everybody? Jorge Aquino coming to you live and direct right here from the west side of the PHX. It is Tormenting Tarmac, the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. I hope all of you are having a fantastic day. Today is August the 29th. Uh, it is a hot one today, as always. I'm not sure why I always bring up meteorology when I do these podcasts, but it's kind of a thing that I do. Maybe it's the fact that we live on, you know, hell. Uh, but that all being said, boy, oh boy, do I feel like we have a very exciting episode for you today. Um, I've talked about in the past where, you know, Tormenting Tarmac is a place and a home where people can go ahead and of any enthusiasm within the car culture spectrum can come on and be able to go ahead and talk whatever about about whatever they feel, about whatever they love, whatever they dislike. Um, and today we're going ahead and tip, kicking it up a couple of levels. Um, the, the gentleman that will be on with me this evening is someone who I um, hold in great regard. Uh, the work that he has done over the last decade plus um, and continues to go ahead and achieve more and more great things within the automotive spectrum is something to behold and something to really, really appreciate. And uh, I am just completely and unbelievably proud and happy to go ahead and state that Zach Clapman from the Smoking Tire YouTube channel, the Smoking Tire podcast, and also now hanging out with Doug DeMuro over on Cars and Bids is my guest today on Tormenting Tarmac, Mr. Clapman. What an absolute pleasure and a privilege, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. You're That's a very professional intro. Like you are... Hey. <laughs> You're ready for radio or well, actually podcasts are bigger than radio now. So, Hey man, yeah, I appreciate great. that to, to hear that from you. That means that means the world to me, man. So thank you so much. And it's, and it really is a truly a privilege to have you on. I know that uh, you're calling it all the way from LA. How's LA doing tonight, man? Uh, it's good. It's not yep. as warm as where you are, um, yep, I know. which is why I live here. Uh, but it, you know, 73 degrees, it's warm and humid, but you know, I can't complain. 109. No, no forget that actually it's yesterday i was filming four cars and bids literally yesterday and it was mm -hmm. i was filming in the valley it was 106 degrees so that's brutal yeah I, I got a taste of of uh your arizona life you know how it is yeah exactly i know that you guys go ahead and film a lot in the desert with a lot of the things that you go ahead and do of course mm -hmm. for the smoking tire and we're gonna go ahead and get a little bit into that um as we go along the interview zach but um, my, you know, my wife actually just got back in from LA. She was over there uh, over the weekend. She went for a business trip somehow, some way still ended up in Disneyland, but that's a whole different story for a whole <laughs> different day. <laughs> she took the kids with her and they had a great time, which is all good. But, um, yeah, she was telling me like it was 82 on like Saturday. And I was like, yep, definitely not 82 here in Phoenix. But, um, you know, Zach, you've, you've been in the game for, for quite a bit now. Um, you're, you're, you know, you started, um, as the cameraman and you've been the cameraman for so many different projects That's over true. the last decade plus, like, you know, with everything that from when the drive launched, obviously you've been with Matt with the, with TST for, for well over a decade now. Um, and you know, it was you and Morningstar and, and all these other people, um, you know, the, the TST crew goes a very, very, there's a long lineage in, in yeah. that, but I'm just curious to know, like, how did Zach Clapman get into car culture to even begin with? Oh, like, I mean, the origin story. Yeah, the um, origin stories, man. Uh, It's almost, I don't know why I was into cars. I know I was into them from like age, you know, four or five. And my, my dad wasn't into cars, but, you know, he let me sit on his lap and like, quote, steer when I was like four or, you know, shift when I got, I think when I was age six, like he would help with that. So I think for me, there were, there were positive associations with cars, um, even though they weren't cool cars. Mm -hmm. And that really, for whatever reason, just stuck in my head. And I wanted to drive golf carts. I wanted to drive go-karts. Like I wanted, I wanted, we didn't have those things, but like, I was always fixated on them. Um, and the bug just stuck. It didn't, didn't work with my brother. He did the same things as me, you know, helping steer and stuff, but he didn't care. So I just got really, really into it. And then I wanted to go to car shows and I, I went to those as a, as a kid. And then when I was a teenager, I was in a muscle car club and I drove an old car and I learned to wrench on stuff and drive. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that's like kind of how it started. It was almost like for whatever reason, it clicked with my brain or DNA or something. And I was just into it. No, I hear that, man. Um, it's so funny because I've I've heard you multiple times. Was it a Nova that you had back in the day when you were in high school? Is that right? 
Uh, it was a 65 Pontiac Le Mans. Le Mans, um, that's what it was. It was yeah. like, it had GTO parts. So it was like hmm. a GTO clone without the badging, basically. I mean, that's I feel like now in 2023, if you were going to if you were going to get a Le Mans with GTO stuff in it, that might be worth more than people actually expect. Not that I should be, yeah. you know. <sighs> I say that and then everybody's going to go ahead and buy a Pontiac Le Mans, right? <laughs> Dude, they're not that cheap. Like I looked and, and there are a lot of GTO clones. Right. And if it's got good parts and they put the badges on it, like it will be, you know, 30 to 50 grand, which is what GTOs used to be because now now a good GTO is, you know, 60 to 200. Right. So they go, well, if you want the same flavor ice cream, but on the VIN, it just says like, you know, it doesn't say chocolate it's like imitation instead of actual it's like the chocolate. kirkland signature brand compared to yes. whatever the competitor is yeah that's yeah that's exactly what it, yeah they white label it kirkland signature but it's the same product tastes the same goes the same all that stuff no i get you that's awesome man i i feel like you know it's nice to go ahead and listen to talk to you about that um the american muscle because i know that um there's a lot of people within car journalism that have an appreciation for for american muscle but not the necessarily the passion and the love for it still because they've been able to go ahead and have so many different flavors of everything that's out there right what do you feel has been what has still stuck you know american muscle and deep in that love for it even though i know what you drive but it still seems like that passion for it is still there well uh i mean there's two sides to that question like the fun side is to me Muscle cars are like heavy metal, but Metallica or God of War or not God of War, Lord of War. No, that's the word I'm thinking of. Lamb of God. Um, gotcha. One, one was a video game. One was a movie. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like they're very it's I don't want to insult the metalheads. I'm going to say something. I don't. You'll follow my analogy. Muscle cars are simple. And I know mm. that metal isn't simple. Music is not simple. But I think heavy metal connects to like a very simple primal part of us, like deep drumming, deep, you know, loud chanting. Like it's it's like a thunderstorm and a rock slide, and it just makes you think of like fury, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, muscle cars play that song really well. You know, like I I have yet to experience a German car that does. AMGs come close. They're like a refined luxury car experience. Luxury, or sorry, refined muscle car experience but they still put their luxury foot first first they're like right. we need to be the the best way to get around smooth comfortable whatever muscle cars are flawed af i mean i mean from the 60s like either they didn't know what ergonomics was they didn't care safety wasn't a thing but the engines were huge the transmissions and differentials were just made of big pieces of metal um i don't think they had really figured out how to whittle all the profit you know, up and cost down. So things seemed overbuilt. And I, I drove and it granted it's anecdotal, but like I've watched people do burnouts and clutch drops, you know, over and over and over again in their muscle cars. I did that all the time and they just take it because they're really simple overbuilt machines until you get to like drag racing on prep surfaces and stuff like that. Um, right. So that's like the fun side. The other side of why I still like it is, um, and I did an article about this for Road and Track. So when our brain is developing as like a kid or a teenager, we have this stuff called myelin on our neurotransmitters. And basically that helps you form like memories or positive memories. And you have a lot more of it as a young person. It's like the brain's plasticity. You, you know, we learn more quickly. So when we form a positive association with something as a younger person, that association is much stronger than if we discover something in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. Uh, so because I had all the fun in the world from like age 12 to 18 with muscle cars, you know, going to hot August nights, going to drag races every weekend, not, you know, <laughs> unsanctioned drag racing, um, wrenching on cars, doing burnouts. the statue like, of limitations is all gone on that. That's right, true. Zach? They were, they were <laughs> definitely not at a drag strip because the drag, cause it was funny. The drag strip was only two hours away but yeah. none of us could imagine our car making it that far on the highway. I remember when <laughs> someone's like, we could drive to Sonoma Raceway. And I was like, we'll never make it. We'll never make it home. That's for sure. Like, no, no way. So, um, so that's the other side. You know, my, my brain literally has the wiring to be stoked about muscle cars. And I just, I, and, and 
one of the first real jobs I had in this industry, like getting a good paycheck was producing Big Muscle with Mike Musto and Thaddeus Brown, of course. which, you know, I was into that show because I already had all these memories from high school, but then I got exposed to gassers and, and rat rods and, you know, hot rods, like on a level that I hadn't before. So my appreciation uh, only deepened. No. Uh, so first of all, I've, yeah, I mentioned you being a part of the drive, you know, with JF having you and Matt and Mike Musto, of course, Chris Harris, that whole crew that you guys had going. Um, and um, I, uh, it was, um, oh my God, Mike. Um, Spinelli. Spinelli. Thank you. Spinelli was a huge part of that crew as well. I remember a specific episode that Musto was hosting and it was this rat rod, but it was like dual engined. Oh yeah. That was nuts, dude. Yeah, that would that would so that would have been uh sometime like 2014, probably something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, good memory 2013, yeah. 2014, something like it's that. It's embedded into my brain, man, because that was like one of the craziest vehicles I'd ever seen. And Musto test you guys tested out some gnarly American muscle, and of course, you, you know, Matt was doing crazy cool stuff with um on tuned um and, and and whatnot, but that particular car, you know, I think. I want to say, I think you rode shotgun with him in the video and you were filming either. It might've been either you or Thad and you basically, you were experiencing it and you're putting the camera to Musto's face. And I was like, this is utter insanity. Like there's levels to this, but like that right there, that shit got a little real there for one second. Can you elaborate? I don't know. It's been a while. So if you can, I totally understand, but. I mean, I, I don't remember if it was me filming or Thad. Thad, Thad was the director of photography for that show and and he's he was he's like a literal you know has a photography degree trained camera operator i was like the monkey that learned on the job and 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 could you know help um and do okay but that was we filmed that in henderson nevada it was built by a guy from new zealand who moved to nevada and those kiwis guy those kiwis they are, are nuts. crazy bro they really the are best them They're in the best. australia but like kiwis are special because I've, I've been in new zealand a little bit and seen their car culture and uh they just have a great attitude of like of you know yeah why not but but not within the parameters of most people where i think a lot of people these days not not these days but you know there's trends there's trends in cars and so we go okay i'm going to modify my car and i've seen people do this and i'm going to do that cuz i like the way that looks and that's there's nothing wrong with that i've done that too for some reason the kiwis just have like a totally abstract thought and they make it happen um, so this guy had, I think it was like a 28 Ford, uh, almost like a, not quite a T bucket, but close, but Roadster twin engine. Each engine was supercharged and the engines were side by side. They weren't arranged longitudinally. Like, you know, there were some dragsters back in the fifties and sixties that got really crazy when they'd have two engines in front, or there's a famous car that had four engines in front of the driver. And I think it was four wheel drive. Um, and it, and that was more of like a show dragster, but so th this guy put him side by side. So he has this huge wide engine compartment open to the air. Everything's chromed blowers on it, you know, skinny tires in the front, big tires in the back. And we didn't go that fast in it. Musto is very careful with his life and doesn't want to risk it. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot. And it was also very hot that day. I think we yeah. filmed it in like June in, in Nevada. But, Which is exactly how it is here in Phoenix. It's hot as hell. Exactly. It was yeah. so hot. I mean, the, the car the car did fine, which was an amazing testament to the person that built it. But to just see a car that has two engines side by side, they're synced up into one transmission and the thing goes down the road and we drove it for six hours, you know, up and down this highway. Uh, nothing broke. I mean, it was wild. It was really incredible. That's That's a video that if anybody has not watched it, I feel like they need to. And perhaps when I go ahead and put up the post for this respective episode, I think I should be sharing a picture of that respective car. Um, I'm, yeah, that no, that video is definitely on the Drive YouTube channel um, still. I don't think it's under the pay. Well, the paywall doesn't exist anymore for, for Drive, if I'm not mistaken. So that video should still be relatively easy to find. It's, it's a wild thing. 
Um, but you you mentioned one thing as you, as we were discussing the uh, the the car there. You know, you mentioned that Thad has a um his respective degree in photography and like he you know he does this he's been doing this professionally for for a long time, and you were just the guy that was just kind of learning on the ropes and whatnot. But Zach, it's funny you mentioned that because I think it's really humble of you because the things that you've been able to go ahead and do for the smoking tire in particular, um, the last, like I'd say seven or eight years. And now with you and Matt kind of going back away from the one take two take format to going back to basically what was maybe the original incarnation of the smoking tire when you guys first started it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, and what's amazing to me is your editing, your filming, you know, everything that you and Matt do together has been sublime. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass when I say this. I genuinely mean it. You guys, and you in particular with the edits, you've kicked it up several levels. Um, so for someone that you know didn't have the experience of what some of your other counterparts in the business did, it goes to show hard work, listening, learning on the job, the experience of things can help you become as great as you've become today, like what have been some of the things that I guess you can take away from that over the last like decade plus? Ooh. Um, well, I think, I think there's, you know, as it relates to media, um, as many have said before me, but we're in a, we're in a great time where if you want to work in video or photos, if you want to work in actually any media, audio or visual right now, you just can. Now, you might not get paid right away, but what I, what I mean by you might, you can is like, if you have a phone, if you have a smartphone, you can film on it, you can edit on it. You can, I don't know if you can do audition or something like edit sound on an app. I'm sure there's an app where you can edit sound like GarageBand, whatever. So it's what I use can, GarageBand. Yeah. Like you yeah. can, you can learn by doing. And now there are way more tutorials on YouTube than there were when I started this stuff. Like frequently I look up how to do something on premiere on YouTube and there is a two to 15 minute video, detailed explanation, screen grabbed, all that stuff. And like, it just leads you down, you know, takes your hand and shows you how to do something. So, uh, you know, like there are, I know there are film schools. I've never attended one. So I can't say what the difference is between someone who went to film school and someone who didn't go to film school. But I know a lot of people in production that didn't go to film school and because you can learn so much on the job, like, you know, you could start as a PA, you can start as some sort of grunt if you want to. And if you just watch, listen and ask questions, like people are usually willing to share their knowledge with you because if they're not threatened by you taking their job, they've been they've been in your shoes and they're like, yeah, what you're doing is hard. This is hard. And if I explain things to you, it will help you do your job better, which will probably help them as well. Um, you know, when I started this stuff, I had zero media experience. Like I didn't go to school for it. I didn't play with cameras in high school or college. Um, I didn't play with any editing software like some of the other people I know. So I truly like I started writing for TST and then I started helping on the shoots. But all I knew how to do were care was carry heavy things. <laughs> and I could drive a car. So they were like, all right, you are now camera car driver and PA. So that's what I did. So for like, I don't know, a year or two, all I did was help carry cases, get things for Tom or whoever, and then drive the camera car in front of or behind the subject car. And then over time, like Thaddeus started explaining things or he needed help with stuff. And then when he became the director of Big Muscle, when they needed another person, he was like, eh, I think you can do it. Like he knew I could help tell the story and, and figure out um, the writing side of the show. And then as far as the visual went, he's like, I'll just explain it to you as we go. You have an eye for the shot you want. It's just about figuring out the mechanics of how to get that shot. Because if, if someone is a fan of, you know, uh, car TV, just as an example, you watch it usually at such a level, like you pay such attention that your brain knows what looks cool because it's been been entertained by something that looks cool. So all you have to do is figure out how to make that shot again. So that's kind of how the inspiration works. And then outside of car media or visual media, if, if someone wants to learn something or do something that maybe they weren't formally taught in, again, I don't think you really have to be formally taught unless it's something that requires 
a degree, like a medical degree or a law degree, there are so much, there's so much education available on the internet. There are so many tutorials and videos and experts just trying to share knowledge. Um, you can just, just start doing it. Like, that's really what I would say is just start doing it. No, that's an incredible, insightful answer, man. And I know that you, you know, you guys have elaborated that on that when you guys talk about it on the podcast, you guys always have uh, so many questions on the Patreon and whatnot. And people always ask like, oh, how do I get into car media? And I know that you guys have gone on record saying if there was ever a time to get into car media, even though it's relatively, I, I, I personally think that the game is kind of over. It's weirdly overly saturated, but not because people do stand out. Like if you're good at what mm -hmm. you do, you stand out. So I guess that kind of leads me into my next question. And, and I think that this is really important for those who are listening um, and whatnot is the smoking tire has been around for, for quite a while now. Um, and for it to be, you know, for it to have started as a little independent site uh, and whatnot. And, the, you know, you look at it in 2023 Zach Clapman and Matt Farah are still, to me, at the top of the car journalism game after so long. Some people move around. Some people kind of fall off. Some people move into different aspects. Mm -hmm. But you and Matt have been so formidable as a duo over the last like six years and whatnot. Um, what do you feel has been, I guess, what's allowed for you guys to be the constant for you guys to go ahead and really, and not that this is, I don't want to make it seem like it's hip hop and it's like, oh, I run this game. That's not what no, I'm trying to get at. Yeah, we don't do You know that. what I mean though, right? Because like you guys have been a mainstay, not just within Los Angeles car culture, but the smoking tire is very international now. So how, what do you feel has been, I guess, the thing that has allowed you guys to do that? Um, I think we've, we've had some very cool opportunities and then done well with those opportunities. Um, but there's like a circle, you know, it's, we were, we were offered things like tuned, you know, tuned was offered to Matt because Matt knew JF from the New York car scene. Right. And Matt had done video on TST, of course. Um, and, uh, garage 419, which I think he worked on with JF back in like Oh nine. So, so, okay. He, you know, we get an, he gets an opportunity because he has some experience in that realm, but then we delivered on it by making tuned, which was a show about any modified car basically. And that was, great because it's like well what excites us mm -hmm. so that's what we did we sat in a room with four of us you know me tom matt and thad and we're like well what excites us and we literally put a list on a whiteboard of you know what what tuner companies have we heard of that we'd want to film what uh genres of cars what um you know what countries do we want to represent or or show and, and we you know times we cross things out we're like oh we have too many German cars. We needed some Japanese cars, whatever. And you design a season like that. So I think we were into a lot of cars and we got these opportunities kind of over and over again to do something with them. And by exposing ourselves to a variety of cars, it exposed us to a variety of people and just kind of, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I'd like to think that that helped people get excited about our channel because it had a wide variety of stuff. And then when Matt started doing the one takes, it was like, come one, come all, you know, basically right. email him your car and he will drive it on video. And when, if you look at the first couple of years of that, he was doing five cars a week for two years. I think he says he drove like 1600 cars. And for a long time, he could drive and film just about anything and get really good views on it. So it would, so there were, the business case was there, but also it exposed him to the, the widest variety of cars like that possibly any media outlet has gotten in that amount of time mm -hmm. because you had someone who had a brand new GT3 RS. They'd pull up on the same day as someone who had a 1992 short cab Toyota pickup truck that they like decided to make an autocross vehicle, which doesn't make any sense, but they did it. So you had a car that was like a $2,000 car and a $200,000 car, and they're both there and their, their videos are going to be on the same channel. And sometimes the weird car, cheap car would outperform the expensive car. I so that. I think, I think we just, we get excited about, you know, the people that, that build things. Why did they build this or why did they buy this? And then that usually brings about, brings some really interesting cars uh, to us and it just kind of feeds itself. I gotcha. Now, when 
you took over the one takes. It was, I think it was like about a year, year and a half, right before the, uh, right before COVID. True. So there, there was a while there that um, there was no like fan one takes. It was just you and and Matt going back to, well, well, actually not going back, creating kind of like the two take scenario. But there was that year and a half where you started to take over the fan cars and whatnot. And it was one of the first times uh, I shouldn't say one of the first times, but it w- we started to see you more on camera. You know, everybody knew Zach because he was on the podcast. He was a co-host. We know who, you know, if you're a fan of TSD, you know, Zach produces the uh, the the podcast and he edits the, epi- the the YouTube episodes and whatnot. But we started to go ahead and see you more on camera, which was a refreshing thing um, to many of us in the sense of like, oh, there's another face that goes along with the Smoking Tire pod- with the Smoking Tire YouTube channel, which is a really cool thing. How was that transition for you? Because we hadn't seen you ever post anything. And now here you are, maybe, maybe like five or four years later, you're working on cars and bids. You've done the Autopian in the past. And, and now you, you and you and Matt are both on camera together. How was that transition for you? Um, I think, well, part of it, I have to give a shout out to JF Spinelli and Chris Harris, because let's see from you know from 2011 to 2016 we did drive on youtube and then it became drive on nbc sports which i mm-hmm. helped produce and write and we were doing the podcast at the same time so for like five years i think from 2011 to then so i had this like experience speaking about cars and writing about cars but it wasn't like you said it wasn't in front of camera to, to a lot of people and then um when they needed an additional host on drive on nbc sports they asked me to do it. And of course I was like over the moon. Cause it's like that, that was the dream. Like that's the I, dream, right? That yeah. was the dream. Like I moved to Los <laughs> Angeles to do things with TV and cars. And they're like, do you want to do things with TV and cars in front of the camera? I was like, absolutely. F yes. I don't know if you're allowed to swear on your show. So like, absolutely. It, I definitely want to do that. So, so that was part of it, but there had been times where Matt had been like, Hey, you should do something in front of camera. Like he was, he was generous with that. And I was always very nervous for a long time. Um, and he he got bored of the fan cars and he said this publicly i'm not trying to put his business in the street no, he, had, he had just driven like thousands of cars and people were sending him submissions that he's like i've basically driven that car before so it's hard to get excited about filming something you've driven three times you know right. three three rasti's and now it's like here's one more um and but we knew that you know fans still get excited about having their car on on the channel. And also the viewers get excited about seeing variety because there are new things out there. So so we made the decision together that he would focus on, you know, OEM new stuff and I would take over the fan cars. So I did that for like a year and a half and I really love it. I love seeing what people bought or built, why they made these choices, how does it work out? I mean, for me, it's like, I basically get to test drive every combination of like car suspension modifications. I mean, it's like cheating. Um, and then I get, <laughs> yeah. to go home, get to go home in a car that's like, that's not that one. And, and those cars will never have a press launch. You know, the, the, there won't be events that will, you know, be held for like, well, that's not true. There's probably events for small trucks, but it's, it's just a great opportunity. So we did that for like a year and a half. Then COVID happened. I don't want to sit with four strangers, you know, uh, you know, during this, interesting thing of course whatever people think of covid now at the time it's like there's a new disease that you catch by breathing the air of people near you i'm like well then guess what i don't want to do exactly yeah uh, so we we kind of you know uh squash that and also you know it's a challenging thing um there's some risk to it because some people would bring cars that were not really roadworthy and a little yeah, unsafe. Yeah, that third gen Camaro that bingo, right? Yeah, it of had, course. Yeah. I've heard that story multiple times. I don't know if you want to tell it because I know. I mean, I'll tell the quick version is yeah. someone brought a third gen Camaro for Matt to drive, and he pulled away. When he hit the brakes, the car suddenly turned not into another lane, but it was going that direction. And he said, "Whoa, what's up with your brakes?" And the guy said, "Oh, there's only three brakes right now," and the, and the owner didn't realize which. I don't know how he didn't realize this because he drove the car there, like which right. was tens of miles away. He didn't realize that how unsafe that is because now you have more braking force on one side. I mean, it's like a tank track, like one mm-hmm. side slows down more than the other. It turns. So Matt was like, we're not filming this. We're turning around. We're, you know, we're going to go back to base like right now. Um, 
And, you know, I, I got a ticket for driving someone's car that, that had no front plate and a bunch of other questionable was modifications. That, was, that, was that the Shelby GT 500? Yeah. I remember that video. Yeah. Yeah. With, <laughs> that, that, uh, that thing was fast. That was a fast was, Shelby GT 500. That was, and it handled great and it felt light for a car that has never felt light before in its life. I was so impressed with right. what this person had done uh, until we got pulled over and his hands started shaking like he'd been standing out in Antarctica in, the, in December for 20 minutes. And I was like, are they about to find something in your car that I don't know about? Cause I've been here for 12 minutes and you know, and they gave me the ticket. I was the driver. It's fine. But just some things like that. Sure. We, we kind of reassess like, all right, is it, is this something we want the channel to be built upon? Have yeah. we kind of squeezed all the juice out of this lemon? And then at the same time, um, the video space has gotten more crowded right. with a lot of really good content. I mean, YouTube in general is busier than it's ever been, <laughs> but there was, there was a time when the one take style videos were the coolest, freshest thing on the planet. Right. And there, and, and that's because at that time, vlogging in general was what the audiences liked. They liked uncut, like what, let's call it honest, unedited content about mm -hmm. any subject. Um, and then I think that the market swung back towards more edited, refined, higher quality productions. Um, and that's why you see people like Throttle House and Straight Pipes and Haggerty and Petrolicious or th there are so, and now there's so many, many, many channels that are doing really high quality stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is part of what influenced us to kind of reset and go, okay, we know how to make high quality stuff. We know how to make low quality stuff. What do we like to do? What do we want to do? And what do we think the audience wants? So we started doing this thing at the beginning of this year where we kind of pre-write the video a bit. You know, I spend a couple of days editing it instead of two hours, music scores, information, a mix of shots, stand-ups, um, jokes and things like that. And we just try to, we basically went back to our roots. Right. Like let's, let's produce, you know, TV quality stuff on the internet and so far the audience response has been really positive i mean as it should be for every single person that goes hey i kind of missed the one take style there's like literally 50 to 100 uh that are like this is so awesome uh, we love this stuff blah 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 yeah i think it's been such a nice thing uh, and by the way this is coming from someone who watched those god matt did about four years worth of one takes so um, many. and then and then you did an additional year and a half of one takes so it's six and a half years worth of content right there but you know as everybody you know was doing back in 2008 2009 well you know and everybody who do who does some sort of car media says everybody wanted to be top gear and yep. everybody was just putting on their own spin on top gear and it's so funny because near nearly 15 plus years later, that is still the formula, you know, and it's a really cool thing because when you do watch it, yeah, that's the style, but everybody has their own spin on it. So for example, sure. you guys have your own spin on it. Um, I, I loved you. First of all, I love you guys' chemistry. Obviously you guys have been really good friends for a very long time. So it shows on camera and whatnot, but you know, there was which episode you know what i really enjoyed the super and the civic type r yeah that was i mean we're proud of that one you and know the, view, and, the views are really good too <laughs> the views are great on that one i obviously you know when you bring in a six-speed manual supra which is what us the enthusiasts wanted from the very get-go right and then the civic type r is kind of like a cult classic nowadays um both we're in the eighth generation now or is it ninth generation i forget nine Nine. Yeah, nine so right so like eight and nine ninth generation ctrs that's what everybody loves right and so when you go ahead and put those two together with the old school tst flavor of going back to the roots and whatnot it's a really wonderful combination but i also think that you know it was it seemed like it was never something you guys wanted to get away from you guys just tried something new so to kind of go back to it it's like it's like you almost never left kind of a deal you know what i mean yeah, well, I, you know, we, we for the quick and dirty because if if people listen to our podcast, um, then you've heard which this you story should a lot, for like, the love of God. Like I'll do, I'll do the the quick version is you know when we started out doing it for the first couple of years, it was a you know net zero like money losing endeavor. You know, we all had other jobs, and and rev share wasn't what it is now. Views aren't weren't what they were now. What they became, you YouTube was a really new thing, um, 
we were really early to the, you know, people who are trying to be on YouTube for a job. And it's because we did it as an audition for television. And then we got television, we got, you know, we were on G4, then we were on NBC Sports. And I think basically along the way, even when the one takes came about and we had to, we had to stop putting so much effort into TST because the money wasn't there. You know, you're spending days shooting, days editing, and then the rev share is just not enough to sustain that kind of thing at the time. So that's why the one, that's another reason the one takes came about. But while even as simple as that stuff got, Matt, you know, continued writing for a lot of publications and that is a great exercise in storytelling. I was producing TV or other things, um, which is, you know, you, basically we kept working those muscles and I don't think we lost it. So when we were able to make this format work and, you know, for now kind of justify the business case, it wasn't like we had to, there were some, there's been some changes in, in the market and, and what people are interested in, but I think at the, the fundamentals were still there and still pretty strong. And that was really good. So I got you. For, for uh, basically fortunate to be able to pull from that experience. No, for sure. And, you know, we mentioned drive on NBC sports, which you, you know, you help produce and, and, and filming a bunch. And of course, you know, drive on uh, the drive YouTube channel. Um, and then you've also, is it um, with Lee Keen, you did a uh, proving grounds, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. We did proving grounds, proving with Lee grounds. Keen, Parker Kligerman and um, Sam Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like again, once more Clapman going into his like, this is the type of stuff that I wanted to do when I was this young teenager and whatnot. And, you know, to have everything that you would ever want as, you know, to be able to go ahead and create the best piece of content that you possibly can. Like when, when you, I guess looking back at it, you know, have you achieved everything that you want to achieve and what else could you want more to achieve as you continue on in, in car journalism? Oh, I'm definitely not done. Um, I think, like when I watch or think back to the stuff I did on drive on NBC sports, I, I like many other creative people or in front of camera people, you just see the mistakes. So I was, yeah. I was very green and, and I was like, Oh man, I could have done a much better job and and done things. I was like, it's not that I wasn't proud of the videos. Like I wasn't proud of my parts at times that I did. I did some stuff. I thought I did well. I did some stuff. I thought I did poorly. And that's just the case when you're working a creative endeavor. So, um, I would like to keep doing that stuff and keep developing the skill set of writing, hosting, you know, and and kind of storytelling or car testing. I mean, there's so many ways to do it, and uh, it's not an easy thing. I think if if you grew up watching Top Gear, it just seems like they make it look effortless because they're so good at it and the writing's so so good. And there's and that's, a, that's a crew it. of like 50, by the way, mind you, whereas that's it's true. just you and Matt. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, Top Gear, I don't know how they do it now, but I, I know I've back in, the, you know, the, the days of the original trio, um, you know, they'd go out and host stuff, but then like they'd come back to the writing room and they would either punch things up or adjust things with a writing team mm-hmm. while a B-roll team shot stuff outside. Whereas for us um, on Drive or on Proving Grounds, a lot of times the hosts had to also be the drivers for the b-roll and all these other things and it just means okay you're you're taking time away from when you could be improving the script or developing an idea or refining an idea because the, the hosts literally have to drive the car back and forth for b-roll shots because i mean and that's a budget thing like i the shows i worked on didn't have huge budgets especially compared to top gear um but they had more budgets than the we did on the internet so so i think i know i, I wandered off t- I'm not I'm not done doing stuff because I think you could think you can always improve. Right. And it's honestly so much fun. Like having done the off the cuff one take thing and then also what we do now on the channel or TV stuff, I really like being able to craft a story, figure out like what is this car about, and then how can I make it as entertaining and educational as possible? And for me, I can only do that if I have time to think about it and then we have time to plan the bits um, or visuals and stuff like that. that. That's one thing that Proving Grounds is great because it was a single location show with the exception when we went to Indianapolis um, to the Indy 500. So because we worked in this box of Chuck Walla Raceway, 
we didn't have to worry about wasting time getting a beautiful shot at a bridge or you know filming this canyon road we're like all we're gonna do is film the cars here so how do we make this fun funny and exciting and interesting you know every single time i gotcha that was so much more than i could have ever wanted honestly dude and it's been such a it's been such a treat having you on man it really has been um i know that we're getting short on time and i want to be respectful of it of course um so i wanted to go ahead and kind of move a little bit into your thoughts on the automotive industry right now um obviously you got what i one thing that i personally love about the smoking tire podcast is that you and matt have never pulled any punches you guys are about as honest as anybody could ever ask you to be um and and it's really great and one of my favorite things has been especially what you guys have done over the last couple of years has been the incorporation of course it's always about the automotive enthusiast right we we all know that that's what tst is known is all about but your incorporation such as your thoughts on relieving traffic right mm. um the, the autonomy of, of the vehicle or hopefully not too much of the autonomy i agree with you guys 100 every time but you guys have really ventured into that and with a lot of the guests who you guys have on uh, you know yeah you have your liebermans you have your camisas you have you had throttle house the other day and and you were telling me who's coming up next uh and whatnot but you guys have also had i believe um the, uh, there was one lady um, not Professor Missy Cummings, but it was, oh. uh, I think she was like the head of like some type of transportation thing. And I'm blanking oh. on her name right now. I remember she spoke from, about uh, from New Jersey and she was yes. like head of transport. Uh, um, but as you look that up, one of the things that you guys were talking about was, which was something I would have never thought of. And most people would never think of is how transportation was built around sometimes to help or to not be as helpful to perhaps certain sections of different cities and whatnot. And one of the things you guys talked about was kind of like how transportation is used in New York City. And I'm just curious to know, that's a level of things that not a lot of people within the automotive industry choose to go to or choose to discuss or choose to bring to a light. Mm. What was it when you and Matt are sitting down, whether it was you, whether it was him that came up with it, to go ahead and say, Hey, this is something that needs to be spoken about because not a lot of people within the industry are doing so. Because that, to me, has helped me out as an enthusiast who listens to you guys all the time, broaden my ideas and understandings of a lot of things that aren't just cars. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, the person we're talking about is Salika Josiah Talbot. That's the one. That's um, the one. She was. So, she's brilliant. That lady, brilliant. Yeah, she is. She was a. Well, lawyer, and then also uh, she's the founder and CEO of Autonomous Vehicle Consulting yep. and works for the New Jersey Transportation. Uh, but she had, yeah, very, very smart. Uh, she's going places because she already is places. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give a, a, like, a lot of credit to that goes to Matt because he's a voracious reader. and. Mm -hmm. He's but you do too, though. Like that—that's the thing. And and I know it, you're you're super modest, man. But the the ideologies that you present on the podcast should not be something that just gets swept under the rug. Like there are oh, things you. that point. And I'm saying, no, you're welcome, man. And I'm not trying to do it to suck up to you. I promise. It's but it, it's a lot of the times where you know you bring up points that I wouldn't have thought about. Farah doesn't hasn't thought about, and sometimes that. That, that's what makes the conversation so great and also allows people like myself to really broaden um, our understanding of it all. You know what I mean? Because it's it's complicated out there. It's complicated as hell. Well, I think but that that's actually a good that's the key to it is. You know, if you're if you're sitting in traffic and you're like, why are we stuck here? Well, there's probably a reason. So I think it's that question of why it's almost like being a five-year-old again like you're just asking your parent like why 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 <laughs> and you know you keep providing the five-year-old answers and they keep saying why so i have a six-year-old that does that to me all the time yeah. bro. six four and two man <laughs> it's there's there's a reason something's happening doesn't have to be a good reason all the time with traffic it might be a bad reason or a dumb reason but there's a reason so you know our life is like journalist life, actually most people, life is spent in a car. And we just found ourselves, you know, curious, like how come this six lane highway isn't moving fast? 
Well, there might there's probably a reason for that. So you read up on it. Turns out someone has studied just about everything. Someone has been is an expert on almost everything, and they will have the answer to what we're wondering. And I'm not telling the audience to go out and you know Google this stuff for themselves. Like, please listen to the show. We'll provide the answers for you. You are very busy people, and we'll do it in a more entertaining way. Uh, but yeah, like there's I don't know. I I think you know he and I are both curious people we kind of pay attention to different parts of the human spectrum and like i'm always i'm very interested in the human behavior and like you know what is the like cultural reason we're doing something um not to say he's not but that's what always piques my interest mm -hmm. and so if it's traffic or if it's something or it's like how can we make why do we make these dumb you know uh political decisions it's like well because maybe because of this or maybe because of that because humans are 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 flawed and we're not always going to make the smartest decision we're going to make an emotional decision because that's much or a stronger. financial decision too or a financial i mean that's a huge one you know a lot of people vote with their pocketbook because you know their pocketbook is in front of them it's important you know money is how we get things done and it can be a safety net or it can cause a problem, you know, not having like, I mean, Kanye West, what, what, what an interesting human being he's been in the last two years, but he said, you know, having money isn't everything, but not having it is very, yeah. very true. So I understand why people often vote with their pocketbook and what's right in front of them, even though what we find out through reading books or articles is sometimes, you know, by voting against a fuel tax, you're actually costing yourself more in gas because you are denying the city public transportation that you might benefit from, whether that would relieve traffic on your commute or you would take the public transportation yourself, for example. So I don't know. It's just, it's just for whatever reason, like you just kind of ask why and you're like, all right, let's try and figure it out. If you don't, if you don't ever ask why you're never going to go, you're never going to find out the answers that you never even had, never even knew you had questions for. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You would hope that you would. I would hope that most people as human beings would want to go ahead and learn more about the things uh, about the world that we live in, in some capacity. Right. And so being able to go ahead and provide that you guys is um, an incredible thing. Um, I'll end it on this because we I, I had brought up, you know, your thoughts on the automotive industry. Um, and I went towards that portion first. But, you know. The automotive industry is at a is in a very interesting time. You mm -hmm. know, um, we're seeing some of the fastest cars we've ever seen, both on the petrol side and on the electric side, right? Um, a lot of people like where that's going. A lot of people don't necessarily like where that's going. You know, I'm that guy that always kind of like you know, you have an E46 M3. Everybody knows that. You know, it's very popular. Matt had his E46 for a while and then went ahead and. Now got an NSX, which I think is ace. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you view about the current automotive industry now from the enthusiast standpoint? And what do you like? To, what do you like about it? And what do you not like? I know that's a broad question, but that's hard. I mean, the you know the good thing for enthusiasts, you know, one cars are better than ever. Like even if you get a really cheap entry level car, it might outhandle and accelerate and break a moderate performance car from like 30 years ago. So, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, I've had plenty of fun in things with 130 horsepower. Like my, my fiance's Honda fit has better steering feel than my car does. Um, it does. It's like a great hydraulic rack. They, there's a spec series for it. And that, I mean, that car is 10 years old, but like you can find a lot of fun in a lot of places, especially if you don't try to keep up with the Joneses and Instagram and everything that's telling you, you got to buy the newest, fastest thing. Um, you know, it, the bummer right now is that used cars that are so expensive that it's hard to like have a really good time for very little money. But, you know, you can be you just have to be willing to compromise. Uh, the answer is always Miata. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I like that. And, and you know, horsepower has never been more attainable. And yeah. Speaking of don't keep up with the Joneses. Ignore everyone or everything that makes you feel like. 300 horsepower isn't enough or 500 isn't enough. And it's new cars always have to be faster than the, the previous model because that's how they sell the new one. Okay. Right. That's the racket. We all know it. That's how everything works. You know, the burger is now bigger. The pizza is cheaper, whatever. Um, 
the problem is that everything being so fast, it makes you think, oh, my car only has 300 horsepower. It's it's not really very fun. It's like that is a super fun amount of power. And if you look at something like the GR86, FR, FRS, BRZ, those have like, you know, 220 to 245. I mean, the new ones have a little bit more than that. But because of the weight and the way they're set up and the the, the engineering and the suspension tuning, they are some of the most fun you can have on four wheels, regardless of price. Right. So I think that's what's cool is horsepower is cheap. You can get something with two to 300 horsepower and you can easily have as much fun and learn as much on the track or wherever else as someone who has five, six, 700 horsepower. And in some cases, you'll have more fun or learn more because you can use more of the car. Whereas the person with a McLaren can't actually explore the limits or the abilities of their car because it's just too fast. Either, even if it's on a track, like it may be so far beyond their ability that they are driving at six tenths because they're terrified and you can drive at eight or nine and you have a bigger cushion before you, you know, have a problem. Right. Um, so that's what I think is really good. Obviously, you know, one of the bad things, things are expensive and everything right now is expensive. A lot of it is unfairly expensive. That is a totally different discussion for someone <laughs> who's a macro e economist. Um, you know, but there, there's a bunch of things. There's like, there's fewer and fewer affordable enthusiast cars and the definition of affordable has changed. Now we've talked about this a lot on our channel and our show. I, it's hard to say the word affordable because everyone's definition of that is different. Right. Um, and so right now your quote entry level sports cars that are available are GR86, you know, Nissan 400, Mustang GT. These are all 30 to 50 grand and most of them are closer to 50 and mm -hmm. that sucks. But when you adjust it for inflation compared to like 370Z or 350Z, and we did this math on the show. Yep. The, the, the new Z is actually priced right where the old one was when it came out. But because inflation has been so bad and because wage stagnation is so bad, it feels more expensive than it was. You know, it's like it's like it's actually priced the same when you account for inflation. But because our pocketbooks have not inflated at the same rate of prices, then it feels more expensive. So that really sucks. You know, it, it's it's a bummer that. At the same time, we're losing manual transmissions and sports cars because most people don't want them. The markets want crossovers. The market, you know, more people want those things. Um, it sucks that that's happening at the same time as these price increases are happening. So it's making it even more difficult for a normal car enthusiast with a, you know, the median income of the country to get into a decent new sports car where that wasn't the case in the nineties. No, that's so true. And by the way, that's been some of my favorite segments that you guys have done over the last like few weeks. Um, so whoever it was that was sending you guys the uh, inflation numbers like that, it was, as great. Soon as I, it was so good. And I was like, I think you guys even said that currently the M products are closer to what they actually are uh, inflation wise, even though we're seeing M cars be really expensive now, but like, it seems like they were quote unquote cheaper, but considering what inflation is now, they were really expensive when they, you know, the, the, the differential is not that different between what they were 30 years ago to where they've gotten to now. And I feel like that, that that's just an example. I know there's plenty of other cars. My favorite has been what you guys, what you guys spoke about, like the, the sixties Ferraris, where if you would have bought that in 1970 for what have been an equivalent of like 10 grand then, which would be like 40 grand now, but then yep. it's beaten inflation by like 200% or something like that. Yes. Those are some crazy numbers. Those numbers make you sad. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's also like, you know, we all, because if you're into cars, you're paying, you're probably paying a lot of attention to the car market. Yeah. And, and there's like, you know, adults that have jobs and kids only have so much time in the day that most of them have fewer, less time than right I here. have. Cause I don't have kids. Um, but you know, to be, to pay attention to like a financial markets and cars at a high level is really, really hard. And cars are more emotional for more, most people. So they pay more attention. So they see these 250 GTOs selling for 40, $50 million. And they're like, oh my God, why didn't I buy one for 10 grand in 1965? It's like, yes, that's true. There were very few of them. Um, 
But for a lot of the cars out there, if you had taken that same money and put it in like the S&P 500 and then just gone to sleep for 50 years, you probably would have out, you would have made more money investing it. And that's something we covered. You know, there's, there's yep. the 250 GTO is this weird outlier that, that outpaced the stock market, I think. But people that bought, um, you know, GNXs and put them in a bubble for 40 years or, uh, well, 30 years, I guess. Um, or like the gentleman we talked about, he was trying to sell his Indy 500 edition C5 Corvette that uh -huh. had no miles on it. You know, these these people that bought a fairly affordable sports car that didn't have enough accolades or provenance, they never drove it, hoping it would be their nest egg. And it turns out that they lost money first when, when compared with inflation. I mean, that's really brutal. That's that's a bummer. And then, I mean, the takeaway from that, though, the silver lining is drive your car. Because yeah. if you have a car that turns out to be this blue chip, magical investment thing, doesn't matter that you drove it. It's going to be worth money anyway. Right. And then and like, you know, I think uh, I think Doug DeMiro's Ford GT was previously owned by Carl Brower. Right. And he yeah, put yeah. like 20,000 miles on the car and he Hell made yeah. money selling it to Doug and Doug will probably make money. Both of them are driving it a lot and kudos to both of them. Right. Um, and to go back a step to your point, my car in 2002 was $45,900, my M3. Um, I bought it for- So that was brand new MSRP, that was right? Brand new MSRP. I bought it for a third of that. But yeah. adjusted for inflation today, that would be a seventy-seven thousand dollar car, which is basically where the M3 starts in terms of pricing. Yeah. So it's kind of wild that the M3 we noticed was actually a car that has not—they haven't increased the prices on it above inflation. It's just tracking with inflation, whereas other cars or other products, yeah. you know, are being um, their prices are being increased beyond inflation. I gotcha, Zach. It's it's been a true pleasure, man. I'll end I mean, it on Do you have this. more questions? We could do 10 more minutes. My, my oh, hell yeah, man. Yet, so no, absolutely. Let's do, let's do 10 more and then got uh, I got to make dinner. You got it, brother. No worries. Well, thanks for your time. I do appreciate it. You know, one of the things I always like to ask my guests um, is, you know, again, I stated this podcast is about car culture and we've gone all over the spectrum and we talked about your humble beginnings, you know, with your dad teaching you when you were a little kid. But I'm just curious after everything you've seen and you've worked in, at the end of the day, what does car culture mean to Zach Clapman? Oh, well, I think, I think like any hobby or interest, it is, it's like a gravitational force that just pulls people together. Um, it's almost like people gather around a fire when it's cold. Right. So I think if you're into cars, if you're into music, if you're into yarn, game, gaming, whatever, like you get pleasure from this thing this hobby, this interest, whatever it is. And so you're going to meet other people that are into that hobby. Um, I think what's good about car culture or should remain important about it is that it seems to be a really good melting pot for different demographics in terms of income, race, culture, country of origin, whatever. Like, you know, I don't know anything about like Indian music. Um, mm. Like, I mean, I, I like some of it when it when when EDM is mixed with like, you know, India like India beats. It actually works really well, and I enjoy it. Yeah, but I don't sure. know how it's played. I don't know what the instrument is. Um, I couldn't I couldn't go there and talk music with with them. I like I can't go to a jazz club and really talk talk music. I can appreciate it, but I don't really know that stuff. But I could go to basically any country where they have cars. And probably talk to people and find people that are into cars or at least appreciate their vehicle. And like we'd have some glue for the conversation. And I think what's great is it can expose groups of people to other to groups they wouldn't necessarily come into contact with. If you go to a good, you know, good car show that has a that has a wide variety of cars there, like the Brecky Car Club um in SoCal is really good about that. Like there's a wide variety of stuff there, but I mean, I go to the, like down at the beach on Friday, there's like four dudes that just bring out their low riders every Friday and they just sit there, listen to music and they just stand and wait for someone to come up and say, cool car. And then you can talk to them about it. So I think that's, what's really great about car culture is they bring cultures together to form like, you know, this planetary system of culture. As long Hell as yes. you, 
keep your mind open. You know, don't just go to like the one mark event. Go to those two because you can talk, you can really nerd out on BMW shit or Porsche shit. But yeah. go to the other things and you will find common ground with people that you might not think you had common ground with. I love that, man. You're so right. It's like this melting pot of things that you never would have imagined. Yet all of a sudden you become homies with the last person you would have ever expected only because you like the same type of car or you disagree, but you can appreciate each other's opinions and whatnot. Um, I'll end it on this, Zach. You know, of all the videos that you've been able to go ahead and help, you know, whether pr produce, write, edit, what's been the one that really sticks to you like as or maybe a couple that you're most proud of or just have really enjoyed and then also from the podcasting end who have been what have been some of the your most memorable episodes because you guys have now done like aren't you guys almost at like 800 episodes or something like that of tst yeah 856 that's gnarly dude congratulations on that you guys you. have ranked it out like that's nuts to me dude yeah, I mean, we started in 2011, I think, and we did back when nobody was podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It was like, yeah, you guys started Rogan, a game, dude. Joe Rogan, Mark Marin, and then and then we jumped in there. Um, uh, look, let's see, memorable videos. Um, I mean, the All Cars Go to Heaven series we did, you know, for people that didn't watch them, like we basically drove cheap, crappy cars off road for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles before the Gambler 500 existed. We took them camping and we, we just wanted to see if these cheap cars could actually do a lot more than people think, you know, everyone thinks you need a Wrangler or something like that. So, um, wrong, you know, wrong. You just need commitment and to not care about the bodily harm you're inflicting upon a vehicle <laughs> uh, or yourself too, or yourself. That's true. There's a lot of that. Um, I mean, th so those were a fun adventure. And then I think the recent ones, Matt and I did where we were trying to, you know, had a battle of E46 wagon versus crown Vic was really fun. But um, watch those videos, people, for the love of God, watch yeah. those videos. Those are dope. There's that and uh, TJ Russell's 9 Baja 911 that people that car need to watch was so great. And the video so was so fun to make and fun to watch, um, you know, whatever people weren't weren't clicking on it as much. But, man, that was a really good time. But I think uh, I think we did a really good job with our Bentley GTC video. The one we yeah. not the one we recently did, we just. Like good jokes, good back and forth, good information. Um, and the uh, Integra Type S video, I'm I'm proud mm -hmm. of that one too. Like those those are two that came out in the last couple of months that I'm really into. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like on the drive days, like I I raced against a six year old in go karts and he destroyed me. And then I <laughs> I rode I rode at um, New Jersey Motorsports Park at club loose with a 14 year old. Like he couldn't drive, he couldn't drive on the street, but he could drift the hell out of a car. So I got to do some really weird, fun stuff like that. Uh, I gotcha. On the podcast, we've gotten to talk to so many interesting people that I never would have imagined I'd ever get to see in person or shake their hand. I mean, you brought it up before the show, but Gordon Murray. Of course. I mean, the the guy that, you know, was you know heavily involved with mclaren f1 and now his his gordon murray project i mean yeah one of the goats one of the one of the great minds in cars of the last hundred years um super nice knowledgeable great stories and we've talked to him twice and when i we saw him at at festival of speed he just like shakes our hands and he's like hey how's it going nice to see you guys and my, your yeah. brain's exploding because he's like your homie yeah exactly yeah. so that so freaking crazy. stuff like that is is so special um like you know bucky lasik i was a yeah. huge fan of his i mean i am but I, I played him on tony hawk's pro skater when i was in college like i would select him and play him in the game a lot and now he's you know he brings fresh caught tuna and cuts it up on a skateboard at our at our in our studio and i mean tom segura bert kreischer i mean i'm a huge stand-up comedy fan right. so to just have these people that want to come in and talk cars again it's the culture it's that magnet thing it's like you know, they didn't come in and talk about stand up. They came in and we talked about this other thing they love, which was cars. And I know I'm missing like literally hundreds of people, but the show just allows us to sit for an hour to an hour and a half with really interesting folks and try to figure out what's their involvement with the car world, what makes them tick and usually go off on a lot of tangents too that are really fun. It's the best thing, dude. I mean, hearing Joey, of all people, Joey Lawrence being on the pod like a few weeks ago, never would have been 
at all the thing. But um, Zach, I know that it's right about that time. So I want to be respectful of it, man. But I just, I can't thank you enough for wanting to go ahead and spend about an hour with me here on the podcast tonight. It's been a true honor and a privilege, sir. And um, I'll let you go ahead and put in all the plugs for everything um, before we go ahead and sign off. But honestly, from me to you, a true privilege. And thank you so much for doing this for me, man. I really appreciate that. Thank you. you this is a very professional show. And thank I know you, you're, you're recording it from your laundry room. But <laughs> like, I am. for, for yeah. anyone listening, they're not going to know that. Like, you have a very... Great questions, good cadence to the show, and uh, a good mind for it. So I think you have a good runway in front of you. I mean, season Thanks, starting man. season two. Season um, two, man. Kicking ass, taking names. My dog is freaking out right now, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, plug things. Um, watch our videos on the Smoking Tire YouTube channel and the podcast. Get it anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can watch it. If Sometimes we put up visuals to go along with the show, cars we're talking about, projects, yeah. whatever. So that's uh, the Smoking Tire podcast YouTube channel. And if you want to get that show early, like weeks early, we have a Patreon. So you can get access to those shows long before everybody else does. Uh, and I'm doing some videos with Cars and Bids, reviewing some of the cars before they go up to auction, which has been very cool because it's kind of like the one takes. Like I got to review a guy's RSTI swapped Subaru and he put up for auction. And then uh, I'm supposed to drive a GT2 RS soon or a GT2 rather. So, oh, so 997 GT2. Nice. 996. Oh, 996 GT2. Oh, those are yeah. even more rare. Holy hell, yeah. Super rare. Super rare. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that came down the pike and so um that's been a great opportunity because they have a lot of they sell a variety of cars on cars and bids and um I will happily drive them and talk about them. Um it's a pretty good opportunity. So, yeah, go check those videos out. Give them a thumbs up so that they keep hiring me back to do that stuff. 100%. Zach Clapman is one of the goats in the automotive industry. Uh, you and Matt Farah uh, are automotive heroes of mine, and I wish you nothing but the best. And I'm going to continue to support you guys. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time tonight, Zach. Really appreciate that. We'll go ahead and wrap it up right here. Go check out Zach out on his Instagram account as well, at the real Zach Clapman. Um, and of course, you can also follow Matt at the Smoking Tire on Instagram as well. Um, you know, always up to shenanigans these two and it's the best thing ever man so appreciate you zach everybody listening i appreciate you listening thank you so much for all the support and i hope you've enjoyed this episode so on behalf of mr zach clapman my name is jorge aquino you've been listening to tormenting tarmac and this is the podcast where the enthusiast never dies have a great night everybody Bye.